This is part one of a two-part podcast. Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. Is it running, Pilgrim? <laughs> it is, Duke. Yeah, I, I can't do a John Wayne thing. I, how you doing, Pilgrim? I don't, I don't know how he does it. What? That was not bad. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. But we were at Pilgrim's Market, and so it reminded me. Right. That's in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. They've, they have French spellings of apostrophes and stuff in there somewhere. I, I can never spell it the right way. So I just write it out as Cor de Lane. Americanized it. <laughs> but we, we had to make a quick trip to Seattle um, for family emergency stuff. So we're racing to be helpful in things. Right. Helpful in things. And we love Pilgrim's Market in Coeur d'Alene. Yeah. Big shout out to them. So normally I everything in Missoula is better than everywhere else in the world. But I got I just love this little store. <laughs> they've got they've got cool stuff in there. And um, uh, I know every time we go in there, there's always something that I'm not finding in Missoula. And it was fun. Someone in the store recognized you and wanted to talk permaculture. Yeah, so we it's it's clear that he's watched the videos, but he hasn't listened to the podcasts. So um, We have a couple different topics to go through today. There are some questions. A list of things, yeah. a long list of things. No, I'm, I'm going to keep us on task. And, uh, <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> I can do it. I can do it. You know, for every podcast, uh, it goes up onto a thread on Permies, and that's where you could go and write your comments and stuff. And I believe I have read every comment posted there. I mean, I've, I can't reply to very many of them, but I have read them all. And so, um, and, I, and I just got to give a quick shout out. Every time somebody sends a really lovely note, I do read it, but I I don't know how to reply to it. I mean, I, I'm, I know I'm not the only person that's kind of wired in a weird way this way, but I do forward him to Jocelyn, <laughs> and she's not wired in this weird way. She she replies to some of those people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't read as much in the podcast forum as Paul does, so I've missed a lot of those there. But, but if there's one that's extra special that Paul forwards, that's pretty nice. So we're going we're gonna to have one of those today. Um, but another thing is, is that um, I want to. Someone was telling me that uh, they had no way to get older podcasts. So they were just listening to the to the new stuff uh, that that is listed out at iTunes or whatever, and um, uh, they can't find a way to get the old stuff. So it's like if you go to the podcast forum, uh, and it's I can't remember what it's called, Paul Wheaton's Permaculture Podcast or whatever but uh the forum where every podcast is listed uh i think there's a link at the top to get all the gobs and for 20 bucks 
you can get all the zip files. You can also go and find every last podcast there and download them one at a time if you want. But we've got this thing where it's like um, all of the all the podcasts are in convenient zip files, and for twenty bucks you also get like the uh, playing cards as an ebook and um, the microdocs and a bunch of other little bits and bobs. Um, I think it's it's made out to be a pretty sweet deal for twenty bucks, but it's a convenience thing. Um, and you know the those big zip files they do hit our server bill a little bit when you download those big zip files, and so the twenty bucks is kind of to offset that. Um, but so just one apparently I've never mentioned this in a podcast, and uh, uh, I've also had some people telling me I should mention this kind of thing in a podcast every podcast. And I was like, I don't remember that. <laughs> so it, we're at 400 and something podcasts, right? Yeah, so there's, you know, 400 and some podcasts out there at Permies that you can go get right now. Um, but all right, so there's that. What's what's on the list? What are we doing? Yeah, we are talking about Patreon. Oh, right. Um, so I got to share this thing. It was a glitch in Patreon that effectively screwed me out of $3,000. Um, and it made me happy. <laughs> and, and and I know that doesn't make sense, but give me a minute here. <laughs> so um, the, the bizarre thing is, is that normally, even though I've got patrons at Patreon who give me some money, it still doesn't cover the bills of making the podcasts and, and the videos because I kind of been farming pieces of it out. And... Um, and for a bunch of reasons. And you mean by farming it out, you've been paying other people to assist you with some things. Right. So so Adrian uh, processes all of the podcasts. And, uh, and you might think there's nothing to process, but there is so much. I mean, not only do you have to, like, level it, and I don't even remember what that means. Um, and then you got to put it out in a way so that it's like... The sound sounds really good, but the file size is only like 20 megabytes. Instead of the sound sounding terrible, and the file size is 600 megabytes. Um, and so he's got ways of doing that. Then there's all this stuff about where exactly to put it and how to describe it in ways on certain pages so that it gets fed to iTunes and a bunch of other things that I don't understand. It's complicated, and it's a lot of work. Well, and and the YouTubes, you've had a lot of editing from Dan Omen too. I'm interjecting. Yeah, and and so then, um, and I pay Dan for that, yeah. and and so uh, uh, I give Dan a whole bunch of footage, and, and sometimes when he's by, he'll take a bunch of extra footage, and he'll do all the editing, and he does a much better job with editing than I do, and uh, and so yeah, I, I pay him for that, but I ended up, you know, I've been paying these guys more than what I get from Patreon. But what happened last month is there's apparently a glitch in Patreon. And uh, as and Patreon has this thing like the usually it says okay the next artifact that you put up you're going to get $23. And so a lot of times it's like I just can't afford it right now. I can't I can't afford to keep paying for this stuff to go out. I got more important things to do, so I focus on my other projects that I'm working on. But last month it said for the next um, uh, thing that you put up on Patreon, you're going to get $300, $311. And it's like, wow, I'm, I'm going to be able to pay all the expenses and actually run in the black. 
this is this is amazing. And so then I started thinking about like, you know what? I'm going to, we're going to record that podcast to finish up the Gaia's Garden Review. And then we're going to finish up the, the one about, uh, Greywater. And, um, and then there's, um, uh, this book that was sent to me three years ago by Michael Judd. And I wanted to do a, uh, you know, a page by page review of that book. So I want to do that. I'll do that. And then there's like, suddenly I'm getting lists of things to make podcasts about. And then I'm talking to Fred about like, Hey, Fred, you want to help me record podcasts? And, and it's like, suddenly the engine is, is like, you know, hitting, hitting some speed here. We're, you know, uh, and then, and then it's like at the end of the month, it's like, you're going to get for this month of Patreon, you're going to get 3,500 bucks. And I'm like, nice. Oh, I'm going to pay some bills and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get some, you know, stuff lined up and, and then it's like, okay, here's your payment. It's $500. And it's like, yeah, but I already spent 800 <laughs> on, on doing all the things. Um, and so anyway, so I got screwed by Patreon, but at the same time for a week and a half or so, it felt, I felt really good. I, I really never thought that Patreon was going to ever be a thing. Um, and so this feeling I had was really good. I was really enjoying that. So, um, I, I started to really gear up. Um, so now I, I'm taking a good long look at Patreon. I've come up, I, there's a thread out of Permies about it. I've come up with like 12 different things I'm going to change. And one of them is, is that I'm going to make a, uh, a Patreon page that's just for the videos. And then the existing Patreon page is going to be just for the podcasts. Cause there were some people that were like, they love the podcast, but they aren't interested in the videos. And then there were people that are like into the videos and they don't like the podcast. So, all right, all right, I'll get that all, I'm going to get that all sorted, and um, and I want to go back to having that warm feeling I had before. Uh, so that's that's my, my Patreon thing. What have, what have I left out? Um, well, uh, we're going to list uh, the top Patreon supporters, but you talked about gearing up. Look at this gear we're using right now. Oh, yeah, right. Um, so my number one Patreon supporter sent me a care package um i had mentioned somewhere like like the old the good microphone which has been through so many podcasts and recorded so much stuff for some so long has been getting a little glitchy and um uh and so i put it in my amazon wish list that i wanted to get the new this new microphone and so i'm recording this down on the new microphone uh, by the way, we're in a car, and uh, the thing I wanted to, to say is while we're driving here, uh, in the past I've recorded in the car, and, and people are like, oh, I, I can't understand anything you're saying because it's all, um, uh, there's all that road noise. And, and I kind of listened to it, and I thought, I can hear road noise, but it's, it's like it's way in the background, and it doesn't seem like a big deal to me. So in that thread, Unpermies, for this podcast, I want to hear what you think. Uh, um, tell me about whether the road noise is not a big deal or not. But with all the things we're doing all the time, here we are driving down the road, we can record a podcast. 
Right. So I'm. I this has a special motion holder, and it's got a you know the little thingy, it's the fuzzy, fancy. the fuzzy thingy on the microphone, and I'm a dead cat. Thank you. I'm I'm holding it while Paul is driving. We're on a, uh, a what seems like an interminable, inter- whatever that word is, stretch <laughs> of freeway where you just put it on cruise control and and go anyway. So uh, Paul's driving. I'm managing all the devices and I'm holding the microphone, um, and he is going. Uh, slower than normal so on cruise control and so um the nice thing is if i pull the microphone away from him i can get a word in edgewise away. <laughs> <laughs> okay all right so, so let's do the list you're gonna have to read the list of names right right These right are my top 10 all-time patreon supporters i think you want to say the first name oh right Right, so I'm, I actually was on the phone with this guy, the number one Patreon supporter, and, um, and and for some reason he has had his name, he wanted his name to be displayed as, for the last two years, as full name. <laughs> and, and so I'm on the phone with him, and I'm like, dude, it makes it look like I fucked up your name. <laughs> and he's like, oh, that's a good point. So then, so then we came up with uh, his his name is Hugh Gill Kiltua. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's now his first name. That's for now his name. Okay. Okay. That's the top one. Uh, then we have Jennifer Schwegler. I, I said that with a question because I hope I pronounced that correctly. Doug Barth, Bill Krim, Carrie. Just Too Lazy, Wade Luger, Suleiman, Carrie, and Sasquatch, Anonymous, Jocelyn Campbell. I've heard of her. <laughs> I was kind of amazed to see your name on that list. I I didn't know you put in that much money to my Patreon account. And Havoc Each Day, which is has an Instagram account Havoc Each Day, which is H A V O K E A C H D A Y on Instagram. All right, so there you go. I, I and so I, I kind of feel like maybe what I ought to do is read three names and whenever I can remember to do it, from like the uh, the people that have for all time put in a hundred bucks or more, and these people uh, and there's like twenty people that have put in a hundred bucks or more for all time. And these people are the top of that bunch. Yeah. So I'm grateful. <laughs> I, I, it's like, uh, as I'm looking back at these numbers, I'm just kind of thinking like, whoa, that's like some real money. Right. Well, um, we wanted to talk about Patreon, and we, we're going to do a brief mention of some activities going on at Wheaton Labs. And then we have a list of questions uh, to get to from Amy. So, um, uh, but the Patreon stuff has been fun, and and we have not given it the attention it deserves. So it's it's fun to give it give it a little shout out. And and we're off to go and see uh, Bill now. Uh, one of the, so while we're in the Seattle area, Bill's in the Seattle area. We're going to visit with him. Uh, it was one of those Patreon people that's on the list. Yeah. So. Um, 
Uh, there's something we just built at Wheaton Labs that you wanted to mention, and there's a workshop coming up, too. Uh, the thing we just... I mean, there's a lot of stuff we've just... Oh, wait, I think I know what you're talking... Are we talking about the um, uh, the little trail? Yes. Okay, so um, it, we we recently recorded a couple of podcasts about the, the big hookah cultures around uh, base camp. And we limited that to talk about just the hugel cultures. And so there's a fascinating thing about one of them is that, okay, so it's, uh, uh, I mentioned how the property is a, is a giant rock and a shelf was carved out of that rock. And so there's this, on um, the outside side of the shelf, it's all steep. There's this steep part. Um, but below the steep part, there's like some usable land down there and it's now inside the paddock which means it'll keep the deer and uh, keep, keep the deer out and discourage the wild turkeys. So things have a better chance of growing in there. Um, but it's difficult to get to because it's there's that steep bit there and uh, so we just don't hardly ever go down there. Uh, it's just dangerous to get there. And so um, one day I got a bee in my bonnet that I wanted to get down there, so I went out there with a shovel and started kind of digging out a trail. I built a quick dry stack wall to kind of hold up the trail. Um, and then I think that uh, within a couple of hours of work, uh, with your help, then uh, we had a trail down there that was a nice, safe, simple trail. And then I, and then the, uh, for some of the beds, the big hugel culture beds around, it's kind of like, okay, here's this big area that is simply just growing grass because we don't have a way to, to stand over there and do anything else. So I started carving a trail over that way. And then we had um, a couple of boots here. And um, uh, it was, I think, like uh, Sunday or Saturday. It was soul labor time for them. And uh, so... They started to help. This was Sam and Alec. And and so we carved this trail uh, across the uh, uh, culture bed, and we made it available. And um, along the way, we had to do a couple of dry stack walls. And Sam did the dry stack walls, and he seemed to groove on it. He seemed to really enjoy doing dry stack. And um, next thing you know, it was kind of like you're, we're kind of looking at this spot, and it's like, you know, we're far away from that other trail that goes down there at this point. But, you know, if you look just so, if we did a little bit more dry stack, we could make a trail that goes down there uh, over on this side. And uh, <clears throat> so it started. And uh, um, and so it's being called Tango Trail because uh, Sam's doing a majority of the work, and and he uh, his mom is into uh, tango stuff, and his mom, uh, uh, you know, not everybody is this way, but Sam likes his mom. He's like his mom is really great. So Tango Trail uh, is now exists. There's a way to get down there. It's it's a little rough and steep. And I think that uh, now that now that Sam uh, Sam was only here for a week, and uh, he's gone, um, I I don't know. I think I might go in there and and uh, enhance the trail a little bit to be a a, a slightly uh, higher quality trail. 
Yeah, it was great. He put in lots of extra hours uh, above and beyond the the boot camp uh, schedule, which was pretty amazing. Um, and he uh, basically came out uh, as a working vacation and I think he had a good time so yeah. so that that you know not many people come to the boot camp as as their working vacation but right. I thought that was kind of cool and then Brian uh, after Alec left Brian showed up another boot and uh, he's put some time in on it now too so uh, I don't know there's been a lot of little projects like that like for example another one is is that the uh uh, the scaffolding or the siege ladder has come a long ways. Um, and that's been you and I have dominantly done that one. And that's roundwood timber framing all the way. Yeah. We, we've now carved some steps into that one log so you can kind of walk up there. I think it's pretty cool. But we got pictures up on Permies for people to see. Oh, we moved on to talk about Wheaton Labs, and I forgot to read this uh, Patreon message that you wanted me to read when we were talking about Patreon. Oh, right. Do you want me to backtrack to that? Sure, go ahead. Okay. So, uh, Chris Sugg sent you a message through Patreon, and he said, Ha, feel free to use my name however you like. Your podcasts have changed my life. I moved from an apartment to five acres with multiple animal and plant systems managed through permaculture principles. I love your videos and podcasts, and I've converted three people to cast iron via your article. I've supported all your Kickstarters for the past three years, bought podcast gobs, I've listened to them all twice by the way, and I'm happy to support you on Patreon too. Please keep up what you are doing. Because of you, I am sharing permaculture th through action with my family, friends, and neighbors. P.S. Don't worry about repeating your podcast content. There is so much to take in. It is great to get reminders and inspiration from what you are doing slash thinking about today. I know you are very busy with the Empire, so don't feel obligated to respond to this note or parentheses take any of my, my advice and parentheses all the best chris sug parentheses not afraid of spider-man and parentheses <laughs> so yeah that, that was a lovely note and of course um i don't know how to reply to that and um and then as you're trying to find it you found others other love uh, other lovely notes um i I kind of it's it is it's it it does put wind in my sails. It is good. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I I don't mind getting them, and I share them with you. It makes me look good in front of my girlfriend, <laughs> and so those are all good. And I do feel like I, I'd say half the time I feel like I don't know why anybody listens to me because I don't feel like anything I have to say is anything all that significant or different from what you know is, is pretty well known by a lot of people or a lot of people just choose to ignore it and then I talk to some people who feel like they know all there is to know and they are so terribly wrong <laughs> it's like okay I get it now I, I do have a unique perspective which is in, by my standards, the correct perspective, which is radically different from what these other people think. Yeah. And so it is important to get it out there. 
Well, and and the positive feedback is wonderful. Um, you know, as most people know, negative feedback has so much more weight to it that it takes like ten positive comments to outweigh a ne- one negative almost. You know, unless you delete delete the negative ones right away, so they're gone. <laughs> well, I kind of feel like we are going to get to a point about five to seven years from now when we will have a lot more evidence of what's being advocated. Yeah. And then I think things will dramatically change. And I think a good question is, will I live to see that day? <laughs> you will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's pretend that that's the case. Yeah. All right. Okay. So I, I took a little half step back. Um, we'll continue with some of the other things going on at Wheaton Labs and some plans, some new plans coming up. But we have a roundwood timber framing workshop. Okay. Uh, just real quick on the Patreon stuff. Oh. I, I do hope that people go and support my Patreon. I, I do want to go get that lovely, warm feeling. And and get this stuff really really going again. I because it's like, um, as it is now, it's like I have to make decisions about how to spend my time every day, and a lot of times it's like I just can't afford to put out podcasts and videos right now, as I'm juggling all the different things, and it's like. Uh, I, another big thing is we need to get a well up on the lab. And I thought it, I would need 40 grand, only somebody put in a well nearby. And um, I learned, okay, my well will probably be 30% to 50% deeper than their well. And so I'm going to need 60 grand. And so it's like that's an extremely high priority. So a lot of my day-to-day stuff is like I gotta make that happen how do I make that happen and uh, um, five years ago it wouldn't have been that big of a deal um, but now it is a big deal and it's it's got challenges so um, I, I hope I think patreon I would I would really like for it to be through patreon I'm I'm really grooving on that space now and um, I think another thing is is that uh, I just sent out to everybody who had paid in a uh, hundred bucks or more and this is not something where I'm going to obligate myself to do it I did it because I was just feeling so grateful that these people had trusted me so much to come out with something just just to be whatever it is that I am and so I gave them all, uh, we came up with a new thing in Permis, in the Permis software, where I could give uh, a lot of people a, uh, a gift code. And so I gave them all three or more uh, gift codes for the World Domination Gardening 3 DVD set. So each one of those people can go and give three people the World Domination So it's infecting more brains. And, um, you know, I kind of feel like it's, I don't know, I'm feeling, I'm so, I'm very grateful. All I'm saying is, is that I like this. I like, I like where we're at with this thing. And I'm hoping it will grow to be a lot more. That's it. So anyway, the next item you mentioned was an event. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So... The Kickstarter finished, and we've got some money left over. And it's like, okay, what do I want to do next? And it's like, 
there is a roundwood timber framing project that has to be done, so I'm paying for it. And the guy that's coming out to do it is totally cool with turning it into a workshop, and he's a pro. This is Josh Pilch. He, he builds log cabins and does all kinds of things. He's been at the Wheaton Labs. He has a channel on YouTube. You can go look at his stuff. Essential Mountain Homesteading, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so he's going to come and do it. Him and his crew are going to do it. And then what we've done is is we've wrapped it up with as a free workshop, kind of like tying it into the boot camp program. Um but if some people just want to come for the finale, we've worked it out so people can pay 400 bucks to do that. But it's uh, basically it's for anybody who's already uh, paid the um, uh, the gapper fee. It's a free event. You just got to let us know that you want to come and you're going to take a spot. And so I, we're kind of working it as an extension of the boot camp program. But uh, so it's a two week thing, and it's like if we can get. 10 people to fill out the boot camp program for this two weeks, then uh, we are going to make, uh, we've already started a list of roundwood timber framing projects. So then um, if nobody shows up or whatever, then it's like, well, we'll just do this this one thing. But if uh, 10 people show up, then uh, it'll be uh, a much richer thing. We're going to do a lot more stuff. And so uh, I, it's if you're interested, there's a thread about it in the Wheaton Labs forum out at permies.com. And the general dates are the last full week of September and the first full week of October. Right. Okay. And that uh, this wasn't on your list, but I also want to mention we um, we sent out invites today to those from the Kickstarter who are going to attend our Rocket Oven Pizza Party October 5th through 7th, I believe it is. And and the pizza party starts about three minutes after the Roundwood Timber Framing Workshop ends. <laughs> and right. and all the people that have attended the, the uh, Roundwood Timber Framing Workshop are invited to the Rocket Oven Pizza Party, which will be lasting for two days. Right, right. Well, not pizza for two days. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> uh, well, maybe. Uh, so, yeah, but uh, uh, lots lots of people were very excited about that. Lots of excited people and lots of playing with all the rocket stove things at Wheaton Labs that weekend. So we have 12 fully functional rocket mass heaters. Um, we have at least two that are currently off, that are that are not functional, and so that would bring it up to 14. Um, and you just look at them, look, there it is, and that's the extent that you can do with it. There's the rocket kiln. There's, I mean, there's 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 rocket cookers. There's um, rocket stoves. There's all kinds of stuff. So all the rockety things that we have are going to be played with uh, during that two-week event, and there'll be the full tour of all the things. Yeah. October in Montana is a great time to play with uh, rocket stoves and heat things up. It's a weird thing to think about in August when people are dealing with smoky airs from forest fires and lots of heat in August. But uh, when October rolls around in Montana, it should be very welcome. So it's going to be October. The first week of October is going to be um, 
we're going to get some frost and some snow. It'll always, it, it's that time of year where it always warms up in the, during the day to get above freezing. Um, and it may or may not freeze at night. And so it's, it's cold enough to really be able to appreciate how well a rocket mass heater works. And at the same time, you could still tent it if you want. And, uh, which is another thing too, is that right now, if somebody wanted to do the, uh, uh, the, the roundwood timber framing, uh, event, then, uh, they could possibly end up in a, in a cabin with a rocket mass heater. And right. so, you know, um, all right. Now this next, okay, go ahead. Well, there was the spec build. Oh, right. Okay. <clears throat> we have a person that is paying to have a Wafati built. In fact, wants to build a girt thing on an acre so there'll be a full wafati uh, plus hugo cultures plus fence and he's going to pay to have it all created and then uh, with the idea that somebody could buy it and i know that i've heard from 20 different people that they want to buy something that already exists so he's going to have it built um and uh uh so there's a good chance that Josh Pilch is going to be the builder, but that's, you know, those good details are still being worked out. Uh, we do not have a gardener lined out, nor do we have a fence builder lined out. So I think uh, the gardener, the the pay for the gardener would probably be something like uh, $5,000. And so this is going to be to do a permaculture design uh, and implement it. And so this is going to be uh, um, building a lot of hugelkultur beds and planting them. Um and uh, then the the fence, I believe the budget for the fence is three thousand dollars, but I'm not sure. This is just my vague recollection as I'm driving down the road away from my notes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it would be a junk pole fence, um, eight feet tall around the perimeter of one acre. Um, and so we'll be selecting that acre fairly soon. And um, I'm not sure when things will be built. I mean, it's currently in the negotiation kind of stages but it is happening and it is going down so um uh i'd if if anybody else wants to have something built i'd like to hear from them and then if anybody else wants to be the builder uh, or the the gardener or the fence maker then uh please let me know um and uh, basically, this is uh, somebody who's like, they really want to see all of our projects happen. And they're like, this is something that they believe that they can do to see to it that it can happen. Um, and, and it's like, yeah, cool. Yeah, uh, I think that's, that's very exciting and great news. So I think that was all the news from our place for now. And then we were going to move on to the questions. So many years ago, I went up to Great Falls um, and I presented in front of, I believe, like 50 master gardeners. Um, and that was a good time. And then we recorded a podcast about Amy Grisak's backyard. And we talked about how the wind is always blowing. And I thought that was a pretty good podcast. Uh, and, and so it turns out that Amy writes for a lot of different magazines and uh, eventually, uh, uh, some of the stuff that we talked about and the pictures that she took and things like that ended up in New Pioneer Magazine. 
Um, and <clears throat> uh, now Amy has contacted me to say that New Pioneer wants to do uh, some more articles. And uh, um, she sent me a list of questions. And so I'm not sure if the article is about me. I don't, I'm going to guess it probably isn't. Or, uh, or if it is, maybe it's about me, or maybe it's just about permaculture in general or something like that. But um, uh, she sent these four days ago, and I have not had the time to give her a proper response. And so here we are going down the road, and I got a devious plot idea of, like, record a podcast and provide an answer, uh, answers to her questions all at the same time. And then we'll just send her this <laughs> this MP3 file. Yeah. And I'm like, there you go. There's your answers right there. Yeah. Um, hi, Amy. <laughs> um, here she said, I'm basing a lot on your cards to hopefully catch readers' attention to want to learn more, dot, 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 and buy the entire deck. So I... Oh. That's cool. Um, so uh, she said... We don't need to go into huge detail on these, but she has six questions, and uh, oh, and uh, and now I'm having um, a device failure. I just Please lost. Stand by. Lost the first question. Um, the first question is, uh, what's the big deal with permaculture? Permaculture, in my opinion, is a more symbiotic relationship with nature, so I can be even lazier. Now, the official thing is that permaculture is a design science. And then if you design a property to permaculture standards, then um, it's going to have a lighter footprint on the earth and a variety of different benefits for the human beings that are there. So it's going to benefit the humans that live on that property, and it's going to benefit the earth as a whole. So um, for me, I like to think of permaculture as solving all the world's problems, or at least solving most of the world's problems. And I, I just kind of feel like it's something where you can do something to solve the world's problems instead of being angry at bad guys. This is my general approach. And, and a lot of people <clears throat> turn to the PDC, and while I think that the PDC is an important thing because you're going to be able to start drawing your maps and make designs and stuff, yes? A PDC is a permaculture design course or certificate yes yeah some people I don't knew know that, that. <laughs> <laughs> you think i didn't know that <laughs> oh right 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 people listening the pod people know that okay all right is that was that it okay so i'm i'm a powerful advocate of exploring the techniques and and i kind of feel like i want people to put into their mental toolbox uh, uh, a few hundred different little bits and bobs that you can do with your property at home or just bits of knowledge about how some things work and um, you can live a richer more luxuriant life while saving money feeding yourself 
uh, um, just being more comfortable all around and solving the world's problems. So you called it permaculture standards, permaculture design standards, and there's really not a lot that is standard about permaculture. That's kind of a little bit of an oxymoron. Would you say you're? you're was I saying? I thought I was saying like uh, permaculture is a design science. You did. Oh, okay. And then and then I said standards. I don't remember that part. You okay. used the word standards, and and I'm I'm not nitpicking, but uh, most people think of permaculture as a food system design. However, it applies to housing systems, it applies to energy systems, it applies to people systems. Yeah. It's a design science that can be applied to any of those. I think what most people can most easily wrap their head around are the food systems, where the goal is you're creating such fertility and interwoven species uh, that this fertility is more self-perpetuating and doesn't require as much care or inputs as, you know, typical agriculture. I think I'm going to speculate that 85% of the people that are bonkers about permaculture came to it from gardening. Yeah. Um, I did. I, I was bonkers about gardening, just obsessed about gardening. And, um, for example, one of the things back in, like, 1995 that I was trying to figure out was um, I was looking at burying little containers, uh, like jars and cups and even plastic food tubs or whatever, burying those in my garden... So that way I could irrigate less. And and I was like, I was just racking my brain to try and think of ways, because I just kind of feel like irrigation is terrible. And, and, and if I could get away from the irrigation, I would have better food as well as less chores. I'm just going to point out that I really never thought of irrigation rinsing all the nutrients down too deep to where especially annual plants can't reach them. Yeah, and that, that's so that's part of it. It rinses the nutrients away, but even more than that, it rinses it, it sort of kind of not really rinses the flavor out of whatever it is you're going to eat. And and so you end up with something that you've spent all this time growing in a garden which and it ends up having like almost no flavor. It's an advantage with dandelion greens. <laughs> That's a good point. Dandelion greens can be a little powerful. That's true. That's true. Okay, so enough on uh, uh, about permaculture What's, in general. So permaculture is going to yeah include all the things that you listed to be sure, and I think a lot of us associate it with horticultural stuff. Because we came to it from gardening and the ideas that are in permaculture even better. But like a rocket mass heater is inside of permaculture. And um, uh, it dramatically, it's, it's like such, an, such a massive improvement over all other forms. I mean, anytime anybody talks about uh, saving energy, it's like that needs to be at the tippy top of every list. Is that, is that dead cat bothering you? I'm just making sure it's still recording. 
I don't think it is. Yes, it's still recording. Okay. Okay. Look it's at a it. brand new device, and I yeah. just wanted to make sure it was still recording. The, the, see, I can't look to see that the numbers are going by, but you're seeing the numbers going by. I am. Okay. Yes. Phew. <laughs> Phew. So I would say, so a rocket mass heater, When if you're going to talk about saving energy, then, and I kind of feel like I only want to explore those aspects of saving energy that make your life more luxuriant. And so um, I really don't, I recently saw uh, Al Gore's uh, new movie, and and while, and it, it, it did seem like Al Gore did great things in politics to convince India to use solar instead of uh, coal, um, and it's like, yay, that was great. I I really kind of feel like um, there's there's so much to be done. I mean, conservation wins hands down, and a lot of and then on, and not only that, but after Al Gore's movie, there was this other movie. It's like, okay, well now that you've seen that. Don't you want to see this other movie? And the very first words in this movie was, I saw Al Gore's movie that said about, like, you know, reduce your carbon footprint by changing your light bulbs. And he says, I felt that was way too weak. And I was like, oh, I want to see this. And so I watched I watched this other movie, and it's like the guy um, basically believes that he's reduced his carbon footprint by 90%. And I kind of, and, and a lot of it was, apparently he used to fly around a lot, and um, so then he stopped flying around. He stopped getting on airplanes. And the next thing is, is that uh, he has a, um, a, a a car that runs on veggie oil, and it looked like, boy, you really needed to learn some serious mechanicing, because he was out there doing a lot of mechanicing, and and basically his life is less luxuriant because of his choices and so I'm I'm kind of feeling like um, that's not what I want to advocate and permaculture was mentioned in in that movie so yay um, but I I kind of feel like learning how to do it like modifying a diesel vehicle to run on veggie oil and and then running around to get the veggie oil, which if everybody did it, I think it would be hard to get. Um, I gotta do drivey things now. Okay. Okay. So, um, so what your goal is is to have all these systems, your permaculture design systems, help you live a more luxuriant life, not make things harder. Right. Not sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I kind of feel like I'm granted I think there's a lot of people that are ready to sacrifice to make the world a better place and yay to those people Uh, at the same time the stuff that I'm working on the stuff that I'm sharing the stuff that I'm advocating I I desperately wish to limit this to making people's lives more luxuriant because I kind of feel like they look at this other guy and they're like that's a lot of sacrifice that dude's doing, and and it's, and it's like, is that the only way? I think I'm going to just be wasteful, right. and I kind of feel like, no, 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 let me show you my recipe book. Right. And so. Well, and that's a big part of why uh, you did that 72 bricks presentation, and why uh, so many of your 
YouTube videos are, well, here, let's look at a dandelion or let's look at something simple and start something very, very simple and basic. But, okay, are we ready for the next one? Bring on the next question. Number two, what has the enormous Hugo culture bed done to benefit you? It deleted the road. <laughs> Delete. It's gone. Um, we can still hear it some, but I think I think uh, the sound, because it's like, uh, I don't know how many properties I've been to, and it's like, we live right next to a road, and every time a car goes by on the road, it kind of sucks our souls away a little bit. We don't have as much of a sanctuary uh, as we do... Um, a little permaculture paradise, or we don't have as much of a, a sanctuary as we thought. It's it's uh, it's you know a road, a car going by, kind of takes something out of it. So uh, the lab is quite quiet, quite peaceful, um, and and base camp uh, is as a road, and so it's kind of like damn. Um, now uh, I do think that the big berm has done a lot. It's, I think it's reduced 90%, but and I think that if we were to uh, cut down all those conifer trees, then it would reduce it even further. So a lot of the sound that we're hearing is sound that's being bounced down to us from the conifer trees. Right. There's there's uh, uh, deciduous trees. I can't even spit it out. Would be more sound uh, blocking than bouncing. Yeah. And, and we're, of course, planting those. They're not very tall yet, so they're not doing a lot of sound uh, baffling or masking for us just yet. I also, um, they've cut down the wind, and they've also created more shady spots, which helps in our dry, sunny uh, climate. I think that we've had some days where the wind is blowing, and we can still find moist spots. Uh, and so, yeah, it's really reduced the wind, although we don't we don't have as much wind. So Amy, who's writing this article, she lives in Great Falls. So, of course, the, oh, boy, they got wind there. So uh, compared to what Amy's got, we already, by doing nothing at all, have much less wind. But um, there have been many times when I'm either being videoed or leading a group for a tour or something like that. And I stop by one of the berms, which are only like seven feet tall. And it's got stuff growing on it that catches in the wind. And it's got the same stuff growing uh, further down the berm. And I can point out, like, look at the stuff up at the top and how it's waving at the wind. And the stuff down here is not. Yeah. And it's like every single time the wind uh, shows up to give this little performance. And uh, wind is going to be uh, desiccating, drying and cooling and so if we're trying to extend our growing season we want it to be a little warmer and a little wetter and so that's what that's a big part of what these berms are doing for us these big hugel culture bermy things right they're they're so huge and and they're so massive that we, i don't know if somebody builds like an eight foot long or even a six foot long and only four foot high hugel, they might have accumulated enough garden soil or compost or whatever to create a really rich soil environment on the outermost layer of the hugel. But ours are, you know, 
12, they started out 12 feet tall, maybe now they're 10 feet tall in some places, but, um, and then lots and lots of length, you know, wraps all the way around our house, and then there's other layers of hoogles other places, that the soil we put on top of the wood was not immediately rich, lovely topsoil. So we're still building that soil on top of our hoogles as well as building it from within the hoogles and yet we we have food growing on it we don't have as much food as someone might have in you know their little garden space that they've you know dumped tons of compost or topsoil in but but we have food growing We've had food growing on it since the first year, and each yeah. year we get more and more food out of it. Yes. And uh, the amount of effort, I think I think the most effort was put in on the second year, but then we had this bizarre dry event where we planted all these seeds, and then everything grew to like two inches tall and no rain came. And so everything, all those little babies died. Um and it, and it hasn't that hasn't happened since, but we uh, uh, we did we did go through the whole event with uh, the deer and the turkeys obliterating everything, and then the the bunnies and the uh, chipmunks obliterating everything, and then this year um, we're not seeing any of those problems, and so everything is a jungle, and it's uh, the, the definitely a lot of soil being built, and so all right, so the question is what have these done? for us. And I would say um, a lot of lazy uh, food systems, very lazy food systems. I mean, we've pulled a lot of food out of out of those. Um, and I think that uh, next year will be our first year of doing a full-fledged garden. And I, and I know that I went and I watered everything once, and some things I watered twice this year. Um, and that was with the idea of building soil because we, we really haven't been watering it at all. And, um, and so I think that next year uh, we can water it twice. And then the year after that, we shouldn't need to ever water it again. Um, but, but really what you should do with culture beds is irrigate it plenty the first year, just like you would with a regular garden. And then on the second year, you would water it maybe once every three weeks. And on the third year, you don't need to water it at all. And on our our first year, we didn't water it at all. And on our second year, uh, we uh, didn't. We watered it. We kind of sprinkled the surface because we were worried about local fires. Um, and then this year, uh, I watered it uh, uh, twice, but. You know, in hindsight, I wished I'd I'd watered it a lot. Yeah, it's it's yeah. But another thing is, is that for us, I mean, like when you when you talk to people about like you know how much water does your well give you, and they say, uh, oh, it gives us only seven gallons a minute. It's like, oh, how can you get by with that? That is that is unacceptable. And you know, but we get a third of a gallon a minute we get only 200 gallons a day and and it's like but you know we have big events and we've gotten by um and a big part of it is is that we're not you know well we're not we're not watering animals other than 
a single cat. <laughs> um, and we're not watering a garden. But I, I do know that when I went out and I put a sprinkler out on part of the culture bed this year, uh, I kind of forgot about it. And then you reminded me. And it had been going for, I'm going to guess, four hours, maybe three hours. And it's like, oh, no. And I ran out there and turned it off. And the cistern was almost completely empty. I'm amazed that it didn't shut off water to the house. Um, and it's like, oh, geez, we got to go real easy on water for a week in order to get the cistern built back up. So the cistern's now full again. I checked it uh, just a day ago. And the cistern's finally full again. But it's like, we, we're we kind of on the edge of the amount of water that we even have available. Yeah. It's it's a little different. Um, there's there's uh, one part of one hoogle, the southernmost tip, that is really southern exposed. Uh, with It borders our very uh, dry uh, parking lot with basically dirt and rocks and and right at the base of that hoogle is a bunch of mint and so this time of year that mint looks completely dead and it's basically gone dormant but it comes back every year uh, and and I, I just think it's a little different for people to work with gardens that aren't watered as much you know i think people it's it's just kind of bizarre to people to see to see that mint there that's dead they're like why didn't you water that and it's like well it'll come back mint is crazy thirsty and yeah. and it's like i don't i don't really feel like i want to grow much mint anyway <laughs> but i mean there's other plants uh that are not as thirsty and will do and do great i mean just right next to the mint there's that sickly little tomato plant you stuck where I don't where did you get that thing ah someone gave it to me they dumpster dived a bunch of plants that were being thrown away and it was a sickly tomato plant thrown in a dumpster she said here you can plant this so yeah I stuck it in the ground and and uh, uh, it came to life and was you know it's it's got tomatoes on it I haven't eaten any of the tomatoes somebody's eaten the tomatoes yeah we tried a couple little ones okay. um, but anyway we went off in the weeds a little bit but there's lots of things what was the, the Hugel culture bed <laughs> oh, yeah. has the... done to benefit us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think privacy is at the top of the list. Yeah. Um, and making the making our place more of a sanctuary is a good one. Um, I, I believe that it used to be that um, I would when I would walk out it's like I just kind of felt like the road sucked my soul away. And now that definitely doesn't happen. The other thing is is that Sometimes I'd go out to, you know, fertilize a grass or two, and um, I'm kind of feeling a little shy because there's a road right there and somebody might drive by. And so now I do not feel shy. <laughs> yeah, we have so many hugel berms, as we call them, hugel berms, because they're so huge, uh, that there's there's lots more privacy for a lot of different people to relieve themselves that way outdoors. Fertilize. Yes, that. That. Getting okay. relief is a secondary thing. Yeah. So the third question, what is your opinion of honeybees versus the native bees? Oh, it's a death match. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Um, so I'm going to put my money on the honeybees. 
Um, they're gonna they're gonna win in this death match. Uh, if it's a if it is a fight to the death, which it's not. So um, I think versus. Now I gotta I gotta say, um, if you're gonna ask for my opinion, whenever I drive by a place where I can see like 30 uh, hives, like all in one spot, uh, like there's a there's a beekeeper there. He's got 30 hives. To me, it's kind of like okay. Um, that's that's kind of fucking over your wild pollinators in a big way because those those hives are going to be stressed. The colonies in those hives, they're going to have a hard time getting um, uh, their Purina bee chow. Uh, it's going to be like they're going to have to go a long ways to go get it. And of course, they just plopped those hives there. They didn't plant any three-season nectar sources or anything like that. They're like, just drop the hives here and go away. And um, so I kind of feel like that's that's not cool. There's going to be... I, I think... I love the idea of a permaculture person. In fact, if a permaculture person goes and uh, uh, is like, I'm going to I'm gonna have so much honey, I'm going to just... I'm bonkers about honeybees. I, I think that most of them are going to have one or two hives, like tops. Well, and, per a certain amount of acreage or even certain amount of miles. And well, they're going to put down their one or two one or two hives, and I suspect that because they're bonkers about he, uh, bees, they're going to plant a three-season nectar source. Yeah. And um, uh, and they're going to uh, do a whole bunch of other stuff too, not not just like I'm just bees. So it's like they end up doing something where it's like okay, they've brought in honeybees, but they've also brought in extra nectar. So basically, the uh, wild pollinators are unaffected. I I believe now. Um, uh, I I have a lot of strong feelings about conventional beekeeping that I am not comfortable with, um, and I kind of feel like uh, I I wish to dissuade them. Now the other thing is is that it's possible that in the permaculture world there might possibly be somebody that is um, so bonkers about honeybees that they might want to have thirty hives. But I think that what they would do is that would be uh, 30 hives spread out over 15 different locations. And each location is probably a good mile away from the next one or more. Yeah. As opposed to like 30 all in a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and the other part, when we were preparing for this podcast that we spent some time talking about is what is a native bee? And we talked about um, there, you know, there are honeybees that have actually naturalized or gone feral or gone wild. And then some of our other native bees, you know, we mason bees are in some area. We have leaf cutter bees in our area. Bumblebees are considered native bees. But but we talked about there could be naturalized wild or feral bees that weren't necessarily native. And and whether something's native or not, I think in what you had wanted to talk about, Paul is um, how really there's there's wild pollinators versus domestic you know honeybees that you might be cultivating. And I don't want to use I want to I want to ditch 
the phrase native bees. Um, I just kind of, every time I hear anybody talking about native plants, it just, it just sounds to me like how everybody else hears Adolf Hitler or Nazis or whatever. It just, it sounds like bigotry and, and it's kind of like, um, uh, oh yeah, if, if it's not native, I'm going to get little teeny tiny machine guns and go fucking kill. I'm going to put a hit out on all the Jews or all the non-native pollinators. And it's kind of like, it, it kind of seems like a philosophy based in hate. And, and I, I kind of feel like, no, these are, these are nature's creatures. And so I want to, I think, I think if we're going to talk about honeybees versus, then it's like, okay, when we talk about being a beekeeper and, and having a hive, then, um, uh, that's going to be relatively domesticated. We've, you know, so, so there's a, a bunch of honeybees here that we put here and we're housing them versus the wild pollinators, which could, by the way, include honeybees, European honeybees that are living in the wild. And so, um, I think I want to, I, I'm choosing to interpret the question as, uh, how do I feel about honeybees? And they were, and, and she was saying versus honeybees versus wild pollinators, because I, I kind of, I hope she's not asking about, she's not playing the native card here. Oh, I don't think she is. And I don't think people do as often with pollinators as they have with native plants. And, and, you have lots of philosophies on those, and there's been podcasts and things on those. I think um, our we have a friend, Dave Hunter, with Crown Bees. Isn't it crownbees.com? Yeah. He uh, loves to talk about, you know, in his region, there are a lot of mason bees. Our region, not as much. But the mason bees uh, can uh, more effectively pollinate partly because they're messier than the honeybees. So he talks about, um, in, a, in a way, he thinks, you know, that one mason bee can pollinate uh, as much as 200 honeybees. And, and I, you know, my other comment or thought about it is I think they're both, I, I imagine they both would be just as susceptible to all the pesticides and insecticides as each other. I don't, I don't know, but I don't know that either one would be more resilient than that. Well, I, and they're, they're going to pollinate different kinds of things too. Yeah. And they're going to pollinate in different kinds of ways. And, and different seasons. And while, uh, and see now that probably got into the podcast. <laughs> that Harley. Yeah. Yeah. So now I, I kind of feel like, uh, it, while it's true that a, um, uh, a solitary bee is going to generally pollinate hundreds, hundreds of times more than uh, a single honeybee, and it has to do with the way that they approach the bloom at the time. Um, I, I think that that's probably true. But on the other hand, if you've got a hive, you know, there's like 7,000 bees in there, whereas if you've got some solitary bees, you've got a couple dozen, and then the um, the hive is going to continue functioning for three seasons, whereas the solitary bees, it's one bunch of solitary bees, they come out for a few weeks and then they're done for the year. So I kind of feel like, you know, 
there's a little bit of apples and oranges here in styles and stuff like that. But uh, the other thing is, is that if you have done something to facilitate your solitary bees, then is are they wild? Are you going to call them wild? I mean, what happens if you uh, want to have a hive of honeybees and you put something out to uh, entice a swarm? Are those wild or are they honeybees? I mean, so we're talking about the, the, the wild, we're talking about honeybees versus the wild pollinators. So I'm, I'm choosing to just say that, okay, honeybees in a hive is what we're talking about versus everybody else. Um, and so I kind of feel like I want both. That's my opinion. That's, that's the short answer to Amy's question. I want, I want both. I want to encourage both. I want to have, I want to uh, have a property that facilitates uh, both, encourages both. That is a, a, a so full of life, it has both. And in fact, along those lines, while, while we do have a single solitary honeybee hive uh, up at the lab at base camp, we have done a lot to facilitate yellow jackets, <laughs> which are which are not really pollinators, but they kind of are. Um, but they're not power pollinators like some of the other ones we've been talking about. But boy, we got a lot of them, and I'm glad. Well, um, I just want to give a shout out to Jacob Wessner of Sapphire Apiaries, who has helped us with our hive on the lab, as well as Dave Hunter, who has helped us with a solitary bee house at base camp. Oh, yeah. So. That's cool. A lot of people love that thing. Yeah. Fred, especially. Yeah. Whatever makes Fred happy. <laughs> that's, that's what we need is, is we've got Gapper love and we got Ant love. Maybe there needs to be a whole new thread for Fred love. <laughs> and, and people can say, this is for Fred. You're awesome, Fred. Well, I, I think we covered lots of awesome aspects about pollinators. This podcast is continued in part two. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.